Welcome to The Think Podcast, the show that tackles impossible questions from a biblical perspective with your host, Joel Sedeckes. And now, get ready to think. Welcome back to another episode of The Think Podcast with Joel Sedeckes. I'm Joel Sedeckes. And this is the show that tackles impossible questions from a biblical perspective to help you explain, share, and yes, defend the Christian message. On today's episode, we're going to talk about the theology behind street preaching. What kind of Christians should be out on the street? Is this for everybody? Is this for elite? Is this for uh, a peculiar kind of Christian? Uh, how do we handle objections and tough questions while we're street evangelizing? I'm assuming that some of you already are doing this or are going to do it after you hear from my guest today. And then is presuppositional apologetics, or as I like to call it, that presup, the best method for street apologetics? Is there something else? And I don't really know how my guest is going to answer. I have an idea based on the book that he wrote, but let me introduce my guest to you. His name is Ryan Denton. He's the co-author of the fantastic book, which I have right here in my mitts. It's called A Certain Sound, A Primer on Open Air Preaching. It's by Ryan Denton and Scott Smith. I got to know Scott Smith when I was down doing some street evangelism down in New Orleans earlier this year. But um, Ryan, I have not had the pleasure of meeting until about five seconds before we started recording. And uh, But he's got a, an impressive... Um, story, if you go to his website, uh, Christ in the Wild, and check it out, uh, this is a brother who, he has his BA in philosophy and English from the University of New Mexico, and his MA in liberal arts from St. John's College, and he founded Christ in the Wild Ministries in 2016 while he was serving as a pastor in Navajo Nation, New Mexico. Since that time, he's been engaged in gospel proclamation in the wild, his word, on a daily basis. He lives with his wife and son in Texas, and he graduated from Southern Baptist Theological Seminary and is currently a THM student at Puritan Reformed Theological Seminary. So no intellectual slouch here, and yet this guy goes out on the street. So well, he's going he's gonna to have to explain this. How is an intellectual guy going out on the street and uh, evangelizing, because aren't those the hot-headed fire and brimstone anti-intellectual guys? I know that's what some of you think. So we're going to hear from him. Without any further ado, let's go ahead and bring him on. Ryan Denton, welcome to the Think Podcast, brother. Yeah, well, it's good to be on here, Jill. Thank you for having me. It's my pleasure, man. And it's especially my pleasure, given how much I really enjoyed this book. Um, I I got a copy while I was down in New Orleans for that event um, where I met Scott Smith, it was called Declaring Truth at Mardi Gras. The guy who who put that event on, Zoe White, I've had him on the show to talk street preaching. And I'm just wondering, have has your path and Zoe's path, have you guys crossed paths at all? Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, years ago in Tennessee, um, there was a, Bill Adams had an event down there and, and, and we got to hang out for about four, four or five days, I think. Uh, yeah, he's a great brother though. Very zealous, very eager. Guy, he has a great, great personality. Very infectious guy. Yeah, so you sure can't was, not like him. Yeah, exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, very cool. So I, I got this book down there, and um, you know Scott Smith. I know a little bit more about his story. I mean, I know he he ran a school for many years, sold the school, and is now living fi- uh, financially free you might say and he is like this street evangelist um powerhouse i know he probably wouldn't use those terms right but but he, that's what he does full time is this something that are you doing this full time 
um, do you have a quote unquote day job and what's your connection to Scott? Yes. So, uh, I, I do this full time. Yes. Um, I started doing this when I was a, a pastor on the Navajo reservation. I started going out and, and, uh, really I was doing a lot of evangelism in the jails and in the, uh, the prisons and on the streets. And, and, um, you know, that was where my heart was. My burden was for the lost and going out and preaching to them. And, uh, over time, um, I started realizing, you know, the, the, uh, the, the pastor and the evangelist are, are different animals and, um, both are, are needed and necessary and, you know, one's not better than the other, but, but I started realizing that I am, uh, certainly more of an evangelist than a pastor. And so, uh, the church where I was pastoring, I got together with some of the deacons and, and, uh, they, they agreed and, uh, they were very, uh, gracious in sending us out to be evangelists into, uh, we, we moved from, um, from there to El Paso, Texas. And, uh, before we moved though, we started the ministry. And of course the question is, well, you know, what are we going to do for, um, you know, as far as resources go financially, how, how are we going to live? You know, um, you know, you don't think of a, an open air preacher as really making a living on open air preaching. And so uh, what right. we did is we reached out to um, some people that we knew and kind of tried to figure out exactly how they were doing it. Scott Smith was one of them. Um, a few other guys that are doing it uh, full time. We reached out to them and, and just kind of picked their brain and try to figure out how do they do it. And ultimately, it was a sense that, OK, either. God is going to bless it or, or he's not. And so you have to, um, first, I guess, throw out a, uh, <clears throat> a few, a few lines to see if the Lord's blessing, uh, what you have in mind. And so we started doing that and we did see some people rise up and start supporting us, which was really surprising at the time, you know, cause again, it's, it's just, uh, it was very humbling. Um, people started getting behind us. And so, Eventually, we had enough where we could we could go out on our own, and uh, and we did so. We when we moved to El Paso, though, we were under a church there, but um, yeah, supported full time by by uh, by individual donors, a few churches, and um, that was what, five years ago. And so since that time, the Lord has blessed us year in and year out, just with uh, you know He always provides exactly what we need, and so that's kind of neat because it's never. We're never rich. We're never uh, we're never begging for bread. We always have just what we need. So we see God's hand in it. Um, and so, yeah, that's how I met Scott, though, somewhere along that line, you know, just reaching out to him and preaching with him and going out and doing some tours that he would do up on the college campuses, um, especially up in the Northeast and Midwest. And and um, and that was great, too, for me, just to learn from these guys that have been doing it for years and try to kind of come in and see how they do it and then approach it in, in that way. But of course, you know, every preacher is a little different, so everyone has their um, their 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 preferences as far as how they do the work. So uh, that's kind of the, the neat thing about this kind of ministry. It's always changing, but it's always, uh, you know, by God's grace, we try to stay in the word of God and, and do it biblically. Now, you say you do it biblically. Um, help us understand the biblical basis, the theology behind street preaching, because I had Zoe on and, you know, I got to tell you, I had very, very little experience. I mean, slim to none before I went down to New Orleans. Um, and, but by the time I got down there, I learned a ton. I mean, those, those guys are, uh, just a treasure trove of information. I, I learned about, you know, what's the difference between a more reformed or Calvinist street preacher versus a more Arminian or as they call him a, a semi Pelagian guy who goes out. Um, but I'd really like to hear your perspective on this, Ryan, what is the theology behind street preaching 
is this something that is biblically justified or is it just a way for guys who like to hear the sound of their own voice? I'm, I'm speaking like a fool here, okay? Yeah, but is this yeah. just is this just something for guys who like to hear the, the sound of their own voice to get out there with the microphone and, and get a right. chance to yell at people? Yeah, right. So it's, uh, you know, I th the thing is, 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 and this is something that struck me, bless me, that formed Christian really has no reason not to appreciate and approve and, and, um, and to back street preaching in the sense of that we know that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God or Christ, depending on your translation. And so if that's the case, you know, in, in each one of Paul's letters, too, I've, I've, I've noted this in a few other books that I wrote. He has in almost single that he writes in perhaps every letter, um, he will use a phrase akin to faith comes by hearing or you receive the word of God. You believed it in faith. You heard it and you believed it. But he's always emphasizing the fact that when the gospel goes to you, you believed it when you heard it. And, and so um, that's that's the mindset for everything that we know that God has sheep out there and he's going to draw his sheep. And like Christ says, my sheep will hear my voice. Well, that presupposes that they hear something about him. And so when we're going out and preaching, that's what we're doing. We're lifting up Christ. You know, the gospel is the power of God and the salvation. Um, we know that when we're sharing Christ, when we're preaching Christ, Christ is being glorified. And especially as a reformed believer, we know that God is his word is never going to return void. If even if people don't get saved, people are God is still using that word that's going out to to glorify His name because you know even in the condemnation of sinners, He is He's glorified His justice is glorified in that sense. So um, whenever you go out and preach, you know every, there there's always 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 a 100 success rate in the sense of God is going to do exactly what He needs to do with it, and so. Um, you know, I can understand like Arminians or, or, or um, Pelagians and, and some other groups that might have a problem with street preaching. I get that because for them, they have to do all they can to win someone to Christ. They have to be witty enough, charismatic, charismatic enough, um, whatever it is, enough, um, uh, perhaps frightening enough, shocking enough in order to win them to Christ. But for us, it's, it's, it's not that way. Yeah, that's a great point. And, and that's one of the things that I really learned, you know, when I was down there. But you are convinced that in this day and age, 2021, street preaching is still an effective way of getting the gospel out, correct? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, in fact, you know, it's a great question. It's it's like this, because like you've mentioned, you know, you mentioned um, when you're painting a picture of what people think about when they hear about street preaching and you said that's a straw man. That's not a straw man. You know, that's that's the real. Those are the excuses. Those are the things that you hear. Um, they'll say, well, it's a different culture, you know, for whatever reason. The, the reality is, is people were saying the same thing to Paul and the early disciples about how they were doing things. And so, you know, human beings don't change. Um, and that's just the reality. You can read through scripture and you can find out, you know, in the Old Testament and in, in the book of Genesis and you compare what's going on in Genesis to what's going on in our culture. The culture really, as far as see a culture is just uh, it's a uh, it's, it's an aggregate of human beings. That's all a culture is. And the human beings do not change. They've always had they've always had hostility towards God. They've been at war with God. They've been opposed to the things of God. And so human beings don't change. But. Again, it goes back to the fact that God has sovereignly elected people to be saved. And the way that he brings that about, the means that he uses is the preaching of the cross, whether it's in the pulpit, whether it can be one on one. It can be people at your work. It can be. It's not street preaching is not the only correct way to do it. 
But that's one of many ways that God uses to bring people in. Because again, the way a person is saved is by encountering the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's how they get converted. That's how they get saved. And that's what street preaching is doing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Amen. All right. So, so you're out there and you're preaching, you're delivering the gospel and you're, you're, of course, you're speaking to a, a, a group of passers by. And, mm -hmm. you know, this is not like a congregation in a church where there's at least some agreement on the basics, at least. And even if, you know, I always assume when I used to preach, I used to pastor, I always assume that there's unbelievers probably a lot of unbelievers in the congregation. So I'm I'm making sure to preach the gospel and and you know how to get right with the Lord. But when you're out on the street, I mean there's not even a pretense. People are just going to work or they're going to celebrate or they're going to drink or they're going to uh just about their daily lives. Maybe they're coming home from the grocery store. You have no clue who you're going to get. How do you mentally and spiritually prepare yourself for the panoply of different worldviews and philosophies because if i'm preaching in a church i know who's in my congregation in fact when i'm sermon prepping i'm thinking who's you know who's hurting who's in the hospital right now who's celebrating you know who's who's got a new baby on the way whose uh spouse just passed and and i know the people and i'm i'm writing the sermon with them in mind how do you mentally prepare yourself for the mixed bag of folks that you meet out on the street yeah, yeah. You know, to be honest, I don't know if there's a, a good way to answer that. You know, I, you know, I, I think it goes without saying that that street preaching um, is a a ministry. It's a call that God gives people, and it's not to say that those without that call can't do it. And you know, and to a certain extent, um, it's good that they do it, even if they're not called. You know, in the sense of, you know, at times I'll go and I'll preach in a pulpit, even though I'm not technically a pastor. You know, um, but here's the thing. I mean. Ultimately, the best way to prepare for street preaching is to know the word of God. And I know that's kind of like the cliche answer, but it, it really is the case that if you know the word of God very well, uh, then you will not have a problem more or less when you go out and preach. And, and think of this also, the best way to begin open air preaching, the best way to preach when you're on the streets is to preach um, an expository message as far as when you start out. You know, you want to you want to preach like you would in a pulpit in the sense of, of course, be holistically, but you need to you need to be able to be you're, you're preaching through a passage and you're applying that passage. And what's going to happen is when you start preaching, like you're saying, there will be people who approach you or or will be in the in the group that's passing by who, you know, will have a certain worldview that is obviously different than Christ, the Christian worldview. And so um, as far as how to respond to that. A lot of times that's embedded in the scriptures, and that's the beauty of, of really presuppositional apologetics. I know that's a topic that we're going to get into, but that is the beauty of presuppositional apologetics, because I, I begin and I end with the word of God, and I'm, it's, out, it's out in front of me. I'm not, I'm not trying to hide it. I'm not trying to bring it in in a, in a more convenient hour. This is the word of God. It's the power of God and the salvation. So if I'm familiar with the scriptures, what happens is, is, you know, as, as I'm um, approached by even an atheist, well, I have Romans one. I have other places in the scriptures that deal with atheists. When I'm when I'm obviously dealing with a Jehovah's Witness or a pagan or whatnot, I have passages in scripture that help me deal with that. And so as you go, 
you'll learn more and more about the opposing worldviews. You know, Islam, for instance. You know, of course, it helps to know certain things about Islam when you're engaging a Muslim. However, a lot of this is just, you know, when you're street preaching, this is one of the, the beauties of being on a college campus or if you're in the UK, you know, it's great because people gather on the streets in the UK here in the States. You don't really see that. You have to go to a campus to get a lot of engagement, a lot of uh, back and forth, which is something I, I really enjoy doing. Um, but what happens is, is when you're doing the back and forth, when you're engaging people, if you're simply asking them questions and kind of listening and seeing, okay, I, I, one time I was going to uh, the UK, I was flying to the UK and I sat next to a guy who was a Sikh and I had never engaged, I had never talked to a, a Sikh in my life and I had no idea what they believed. I kind of figured it was something Eastern, but really that's all I had. And so within an hour or so of just asking the guy questions and just listening, I recognized, okay, what are the fundamental problems with this worldview and how biblically, how can I oppose that? And how can I bring the gospel to bear on that? And so that's kind of what it is, you know? So in other words, uh, the short answer is you, 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 you know, in a sense it's, you can't really prepare for this. This is something you either can do or you can't do. Um, but on this, on another level, you can most definitely, prepare for this. And it's, you know, obviously prayer, it's the, and, and knowing the scriptures and, and going out depending on God and not ourselves. And, and, um, you'll see God move and you'll see God work through that. Okay. Now that, that makes good sense. And you, you know, you bring up a good point. You're never going to know all the different worldviews that are even out there. You know, there's, um, I had a guy tell me recently his, his brother-in-law was a, um, a self-described, um, Who's the guy, the the mythological guy who, uh, Pr Prometheus, he's a Prometheist and, uh, which is sort of like a Satanist, uh, but different. And I'm like, I don't know how to engage oh, Prometheus, you know, but if you, if you know God's word, this is what I always tell people, Ryan, I wonder if you'd agree with it. I always tell people the two things you need when you're going to engage in apologetics are you need to know God's word and you need to know how to ask good questions. Yes. And yes. Because even if you meet a Muslim, well, okay, I might I might have all my Muslim apologetics locked and loaded, but it turns out this guy's not really that serious of a Muslim, or maybe he's got his own views, or maybe he's an Ahmadiyya Muslim, yeah. and it's like, well, okay, well now I got to go back and you know, do I really have to stop the conversation, go back and learn every? Because maybe this guy holds to views that nobody else holds to. He yeah. kind of yeah. made up his own mishmash. Well, how I, do I try to fit that into like? you know, atheism or something? No, you, you have to get to know the person and and run it against the filter filter that's of scripture. Great point. That, absolutely. Yeah. 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 Now, in fact, that's a good question. I mean, think about it even from a Christian perspective. You know, if, if you're engaging someone who says, you know, let's say they're not a Christian, but they're like, oh, I've read all kinds of books about Christianity. I know exactly what it is. And they start engaging and you're thinking, well, that's not what I believe. And they, they might be expressing more of an evangelical, like a, you know, more of a, an Arminian type dispensational faith. No offense you know, out there if you are that, but they might be, and you, you listen to that and you say, well, I'm not that. I'm not, that's, that's not at all what a, uh, what a, what my kind of Christianity is. And so that's a great point in flipping that on the other direction, because that's usually how it is. In fact, if you study, this is what struck me when I started, when I first went out to evangelize on the streets on a regular basis, I was totally caught up with, and this is not a bad thing, by the way. I was totally into studying Islam and paganism and evolution and all these different topics, which is a great thing. It's not, I'm not saying I'm not discouraging that that study, 
But when I actually went out to the streets and started engaging people and I would bring these things up, I knew way more about their own topic than they did. You know, I mean, and so it's almost like, OK, I have to go back and, and, and like you're saying, ask the right questions because every person I'm engaging with is going to be different. So without those questions, you can't really pigeonhole somebody into a certain corner because everyone's different. Their thinking's different. Yeah, yeah, absolutely right. And and thank God that he views us as individuals. He saves us. And now in scripture, oftentimes you do see households get saved. Um, mm-hmm. But that's still, that's a household made up of individuals. And so our status with God does not depend on our status in you know some group our membership of some group and so god deals with us as individuals and as representatives of god ambassadors for christ it would make sense that we view people in the same way you know um what so i appreciate that the 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 theological approach to street preaching you said that it, it it ought to be a calling can you help us with this how does somebody know if they've got that calling and maybe you could just answer what kind of Christians should be out on the street? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so the, the, the answer to the first question, you know, usually if somebody's interested in street preaching, that is usually a good sign that the Lord is, is perhaps calling them to that because it's a weird ministry. You know, it's a very unorthodox approach to presenting the gospel. And there's really nothing uh, as far as the world goes, as far as the flesh goes, there's really nothing that that is, is you have going for it. You know, it's not going to certainly win accolades. You're not going to be a popular Christian. You're not going to be invited to conferences. You're not going to get the spots, you know, and the, you know, even churches are going to see this kind of odd. So there's really nothing going for it. So if you see someone who's really interested and what happens is, is you'll get a guy who's uh, they'll, they'll, they'll just all of a sudden, or perhaps it takes a while, they'll be, They'll be uh, they'll be watching street preaching videos or they'll be looking for places to go in street preach or looking for a bunch of people, you know, and that's usually a pretty good sign that the Lord's doing it. Or they're asking questions about, hey, what exactly is this? You know, I want to know more information. Um, and so that's usually, of course, what what people would call the internal call. You know, this idea that you're feeling like you have this call to go out and preach the gospel. And then, um, and, and, you know, it's, I know it's a, more of a traditional approach, but I think it's, it's, I think it's very helpful, you know, to look at it from the internal and external call. So internal call, you'll have this desire. When I was first, um, the, my first day at the University of New Mexico, actually, I saw a guy, and this is, I was, I was, uh, you know, early 20s. I saw a guy preaching on the campus, and, and thankfully he was not a shock and awe guy. He didn't have like the weird guy eats fag stuff. He just had a Bible. And he was preaching the word of God and he had a, a group of about 40 hecklers right in front of him. And I had never seen anybody doing this in my life. But when I saw that, I there was something in me that just like grabbed me. And I was I knew I had to do this. And I was a new convert. Um, I did not do it for another six or seven years. I mean, it took took me a while to actually go out and do it. But uh, I knew that this is something that I I mean, I was interested in doing it. So. Uh, that's that's an example of like an internal call. Most people will have something like that. Then the external call, you go out, you're preaching, you're kind of getting confirmation from others that you, you that you can do it. That um, you know, like I, I think it's important to have a um, a good standing with a group of Christians. Um, ideally, a church, you know, a local church who can oversee that. It's complicated, of course, because a lot of a lot of local churches are going to be. Um, a bit cautious about street preaching because they themselves have probably never seen it done biblically. And so you have that problem in a lot of 
in a lot of settings. So, uh, but the external call is important, you know, where you're getting you're getting some kind of confirmation from other Christians, Holy Spirit filled Christians, you know, that are saying, okay, yes, I, I agree, man. It looks like the Lord's calling you to this ministry. Um, and then, you know, a lot of times it's it's uh, and you know when you go out and do it. Um, you know, you're going to you're going to become more familiar with it. And you'll kind of get a sense of whether or not this is of the Lord after, I would think, a, a relatively short time. But um, here's let me let me add this, though, too. There have been a lot of cases where uh, people will start out doing it and they'll do it for a couple of years or so. And they'll be very zealous and like super zealous. And they're doing it like all the time. But for whatever reason, they, they also kind of um, grow stagnant and cold over time and they fall away, not from the faith necessarily, although that's true too in some instances, but uh, fall away from that ministry. And, and that happens a lot too. So I don't know what it is as far as that goes, but um, you know, it is a sense in which it's kind of like every other ministry. You know, I would say this though, too, it's a proclamation ministry. It's a preaching ministry. That's why I, I don't believe that women should be preaching. Um, I think it's um, it, it runs, you know, in the same vein as it's a, it's an official word proclamation. It's a heralding of the gospel. It's not just going out and evangelizing, which I think women can do and should do that. They should be evangelizing. All Christians should, but as far as preaching goes and proclaiming, with authority, with unction, I think that that is a, a, a different case. So that's my view. Okay, so um, the guy on the stool, the preacher on the stool, with the uh, amplification system, uh, in your view, as, as you understand scripture, and I, th I think I'm there with you, um, ought to be a man. T teaching sure. and having authority, First Timothy 2.12, you know, that's what the Apostle <clears throat> Paul limits to men. Um, <clears throat> is that... Uh, you know, when we went out in New Orleans, there would be people um, sort of, you know, on the ground walking around handing out tracts. So people would kind of perhaps come up or walk by, kind of interested, what what's, what are they talking about? And there would be, you know, three or four people to uh, to hand out tracts, strike up conversations. You find, you think that's a, a, an acceptable position for yeah, women to be yeah, in yeah. that? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I don't okay. want to come across as like the a street preaching pope, you know, but the reality is, is I think scripture most definitely teaches like what you said, that, that a woman should not teach or have authority over a man and uh, authority in that context or teach in that context in an official way, which I think open air preaching is. And also, you'll never you, you do have examples in the New Testament and in the Old Testament of, of, of men preaching in the open air. You'll never have an example of a woman doing that. You'll have examples of women um, they're, they're you know, like um, they're sharing the gospel they're, they're they, they take Apollos aside and, and teach him more accurately about something. And so you have that. But they're not they're not um, in, a, in an official manner proclaiming the things of God. And so, yeah, again, women, we're all called to evangelize. We're all called to share the gospel, to make disciples, things like that. And in fact, in a sense, and here's the thing, you know, it's like, okay, you have a uh, an evangelist in the capital E sense of the word, which I believe there is. I know a lot of reformed people don't, but, um, but that doesn't mean that not everyone's called to be evangelists. Think about it in the sense of a teacher. Everyone is called to teach in some capacity, mothers, their children, um, husbands, their wives. But not everyone is called to be a, an official teacher in the church, a pastor and teacher. It's kind of like that, you know. So it's 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 similar to that in the sense of you do have evangelists, and then you have those who are evangelizing. Just like you have teachers, but you have t teachers in the lowercase t sense of the word too. So and and yeah. you know, 
Yeah, I mean, yeah, I know that's a whole other discussion as far as the, the women preaching goes, but yeah. Well, no, no, it, it makes a lot of sense, and you know, this is a this is a um, a topic that when I when I was a pastor uh, landed mm-hmm. me in some some supposed hot water with uh, with with some folks because I was talking about eldership, and I mentioned I just mentioned that verse, you know, First Timothy two twelve, and wow. uh, that that sent some people. Um, uh, it, 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 I'm going to say that they misunderstood me. I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt. Say they misunderstood me. Um, right. but, uh, it's but, the culture though, you know, it's the epidemic of the times, man. It's well, the feminist culture. 100%. Time. Well, and that's, and that's just it. I mean, one of the things that no Christian should be debating right now is that we need stronger male leadership proclaiming. Yeah. The gospel. I mean, there's there's no question, and um, and I, I don't want to pull a Mark Driscoll and say, you know, what's wrong with you, and uh, and you know, yell yelling at uh, the men to to strap on and find their rocks and all this stuff. But but the fact is, like, we do need bold men out there preaching the gospel. And um, whew, I'll tell you what, man, street preaching, it's a different animal. It is, and it's funny. I, I said this, I think, in the last podcast. You look at the guys who street preach, and no offense, these are not the pretty boys of evangelicalism or something. Yeah, <laughs> these no, guys are like, yeah. they're like yeah. roughnecks, man. And, and yeah, like, it, 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 the thing is, man, is there, you know, here's the thing Scott Smith actually, he says that you'll never know what love is until you get around the street preachers because, um, and he's being facetious because, you know, there's a there's a, a tendency to be very black and white among street preachers, you know, where where it is, you know, um, very bold and blunt. So even amongst ourselves, you know, we can be bold and blunt. And, and um, but, yeah, it's just the, it's just it's, it's the makeup, I think, that God has equipped um, street preachers with knowing what kind of ministry that they're going to be involved in. Of course, that brings weaknesses that we have to be aware of also. But um, that is the real sense in which, yeah, there's. You, you know, you you won't find, uh, um, yeah, some of your more polished and slick guys doing it. Yeah, well, and you need that. I think you need the thick skin. You need you need the the black and white mentality where you know there's truth and there's error. There's a or not a, and there's nothing in between. The law of excluded middle. Um, how how do we, how do you respond? And maybe we can now move into the, more the apologetics side of things because you know like i said i really appreciated your book and you do mention apologetics in it you talk about apologetics out on the street and i enjoyed what you had to say and you know maybe you could tell us um how do you handle it when you face objections tough questions when you're out there on the street and 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 then feel free to jump into it or we can get there later but is Precept, in your view, the best way to handle those objections and why? Mm-hmm. Yeah, here's. Let me start off by saying I think apologetics is is uh, I think it's crucial to um, evangelism. I think it's crucial to open air preaching, um, but when it's done the right way. And so, like you mentioned, as far as precept goes, you know, I started out when I was uh, when I was a Christian. I started out. Um, I've always been very much interested ever since I've been saved in, in philosophy and things like that. So uh, uh, I started out with the more evidentialist mindset, you know, and, and and I would study evidential apologetics for for hours, you know, and just really be soaking in that. And 
um, figure out, you know, the cosmological, teleological, all the different arguments for the existence yeah. of God or whatever it is. Yeah, so it's, it's, you know, even now I'll, I'll still read some of that, even the evidentialist apologetics, uh, but not for the sake of using it with the lost person. I'll use, I'll, I'll read it for, for just to, to, for my own faith. I mean, it's a really, it's a real blessing for the Christian to know that we have those things. Um, but here's the thing about apologetics. I like to see apologetics not as a defense mechanism only as far as being on the defensive. I know apologetic means to give a defense. I know that. But but I think apologetics can also be appropriately used as an offensive tool. So in other words, it's a way for us to 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 go to the unbeliever and tear down strongholds and bring down the, the to demonstrate the inconsistencies of their own thinking and their own worldview. Um, I, I like to think of it almost like doing uh, like law work, you know, when you're evangelizing and you're bringing out the law and you're exposing their sins by bringing out the law. That's how I, I, I attribute apologetics in a similar manner that you're, you're using apologetics to expose the, the, the sinful tendencies that they have in their thinking and in their, of course, behavior and how the two don't correlate, you know, as far as what they say with their mouth and what they actually believe. Um, and so apologetics can be a very useful tool. And I know that, you know, the problem with evidential apologetics is, is um, as opposed to precept is evidential apologetics. The ultimate problem is that it assumes that man's knowledge is neutral, that when it comes to God, he's He's neutral. He's he's all, all he's lacking really is information as opposed to looking at it and say, no, it's not information that he lacks. He needs a new heart because it doesn't matter what kind of information you present to him. He's always going to twist it and malign it and look for loopholes yeah. to excuse himself from it um, as opposed to, to um, you know, basically bending the knee and say, OK, this is true and, and calling upon the Lord. So. That's the that's the problem, I think. And of course, it goes back ultimately to your theological view of man and, and ultimately God. And so uh, but presuppositional apologetics, man, is is most definitely, I think. In fact, I'll say this. It was the most useful, most mind blowing. Um, it was a moment for me when I realized what presuppositional apologetics was. And it was like I it, it was like I, I had known. I had known what the problem with evidential apologetics was all this time. But when I when I was exposed to precept, it was like everything I knew was all was finally articulated. And I and, totally. and I, I mean, and then you realize, I mean, this is a whole systematic thought that goes back to even Calvin. Is, is, you can find elements of it in Calvin. I've been reading a lot of Augustine lately. You can find elements of precept apologetics in Augustine. And ultimately, it goes back to the Apostle Paul. You know yeah. who's using Romans one and other places, so it's it's biblical and it's useful, and it, it we yeah I think it's very need, needy. Yeah, uh, f fully agree. And and actually, um, I've been doing a lot of work lately on analyzing the apologetics of the Lord of Jesus and uh, looking at them from a presuppositional lens. And you know what has just absolutely boggled my mind. So I'm doing this this course right now. I'm in the, right in the middle of a six week course. Um, it's a remote course we're offering through the Think Institute. It's called the Apologetics of Jesus and and Paul. And oh, nice. I, I'm I'm telling you, man. Well, partially because there wasn't a lot of work out there that I could find 
of of people analyzing and saying like Jesus was a presuppositionalist, and, and you know you you see sort of like well Jesus used apologetics, he appealed to reason, he appealed to intellect and things. Yes, that's true. But what method did he use? That's what I want to know. Was he you know was he arguing evidentially or or uh, classically? And you know the idea of Jesus as a classical apologist, you know. The the uh, Kalam cosmological argument was like, no, Jesus didn't use that one, you know. Yeah, um, right. But um, but man, Ryan, I have been so pleasantly surprised and astonished as I've been working through this uh, this course now. I think we're four weeks in. Jesus used precept. It was his method. He would enter right. into the Pharisees or the scribes worldview or the Sadducees worldview for the sake of argument and just rip it down. Right. And right. the way right. that, that he would do it, he would not only show that, that they couldn't make sense of their own objection, but he would show that they were hoist upon their own petard, that they, that they by their own standard, they were guilty of the very thing uh that that they accuse jesus of and it's just oh he does it over and over and over so yes it does go back to paul but i think it goes back to christ no amen and and you know you like you mentioned earlier as questions go i think that's the beauty of precept too because you're you're using um you're 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 using the unbelievers questions as as ammunition against the unbeliever and with precept you can do that whenever you realize what worldview they're holding to and and you you just start chipping away at it and ultimately they'll see that i've had people tell me that um you know when they go to our and, and this is amazing you know it's, it's really humbling um but you know there's a lot of people that i i heard from a guy in el paso and he said that his son had been watching some of the videos on our youtube page um at the college campuses and his son was an unbeliever and perhaps is an unbeliever but it was through that engagement that he realized how absurd and foolish his own position was. Um, I think the guy told me that his son was was um, you know looking more into the faith or something. So I don't I, I don't know what the the um, conclusion of that story is, but um, mm-hmm. I do know that these things are are you know even last year there was a guy at one of the colleges that I preach at, and he came out as an atheist. And he would stand up on a ledge while I was preaching and, and he would be yelling, I'm an atheist, this and that, you know, I, I love pornography and just, but the thing is, is I would tell him, you're not an atheist. You know, I mean, the Bible tells me right here, you're not an atheist. You're suppressing the truth and unrighteousness. And, and over time, by the end of the semester, he was converted. And um, there was another guy at UT wow. Austin that told me, yeah, it was, it was great. And, and, and it's the, the thing is, is, you know, there's a lot of factors working in all of these people. When someone's converted, it's never just one person. But the thing is, is what what the Lord does use in my experience time and again, there was a guy at UT Austin that um, I was crossing the street the other day. It was pouring rain. I was flooded out. The guy, he called out Mr. Denton or something like that. I turned. It was this kid and he, he crossed the street and he says, hey, you know, he says, I don't know if you remember me, but um, I just wanted to let you know that I was saved. And you were a large part of that because of what we were talking about earlier on. And this is like nine months before that earlier on last semester, you know, like nine months before. And I was like, man, I had I I had no idea who this guy was. I hadn't even thought of this guy. But remembering the conversation, it was all precept. It was all stuff that was just, look, you're saying this. But if you actually look at what you're saying, it's inconsistent with how you live. It's inconsistent right. with what you believe. So so and then you bring to bear the consistency of Christianity, you know, Christianity is true. So it's 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 a matter of 
of um, to me, it's it's very similar to law work. That's how I keep thinking of it, where you're exposing that person's unbelief and you're bringing the truth to bear on that unbelief. And by God's grace, his eyes will be open and he'll realize the truth of, of Christianity and he'll come and call upon the Lord. It is useful and it does work and people have been saved by it. And, um, you know, within the street preaching world, especially the I guess the reform world, I'm not familiar really with the others, but there is a, um, you know, there's a few different views of apologetics. And so uh, it can kind of get tricky, you know, just like any group, you know, everyone has their different theories and their different, sure. um, their different uh, mindsets towards things. And so, um, you know, I, I don't really have a problem with working with, with anybody if they're reformed, but, um, but you do have guys who are a little less, um, less committed to using apologetics and they're going to do more just preaching um, and, and I, you know, you can't really fault them for that. I don't think because they're, they're trusting the power of God's word to bring about conversion and things like that. So, uh, but then you also have another, another group that is, is, um, you know, using apologetics and trying to almost blend the two and harmonize. Um, and, and that's probably the wrong word harmonize. Cause again, I think apologetics and gospel proclamation go hand in hand. I don't, I don't know. Here's the thing. And I've stated this in some of my other books. I don't think you can evangelize without using apologetics on some level. I just don't yeah. think that's possible. Well, why is that? Mm -hmm. Is that just because of the conversation that flows from? Yeah. Yeah. It is. Yes. Here's the thing. If I'm dealing with an unbeliever by default, that unbeliever has certain sins and I'm not talking about smoke or whatever your, you know, your definition of sin is, you know, looking up, pornography, all that, right? That's that's true, but those are only symptoms of something else. What's going on in the person's life is that if they're an unbeliever, they have a worldview problem. They have a problem that starts at a fundamental level of their thinking. The basis of their thinking, they are assuming certain things about reality that are not true. And so when you're breaking down that aspect right there, that is apologetics. You know, that's yeah. all apologetics is. And so I don't see yeah. how you can... You know, if I'm going to, if somebody gets converted, they get converted out of something, you know, in, in, right. in a sense that they get converted from, they go from one worldview to another worldview. They go from a certain uh, 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 behavior, um, I guess, style, you know, I, I don't know, pattern of behaviors, right? They get converted from that into something else. Now, right. the thing is, at the ultimate level, when I'm, when I'm telling them, okay, listen, there's a man named Jesus. And he came to save people from their sins. And they're saying, well, wait a minute. Um, you know, what, what is sin? I mean, that's what, what, what do you mean sin? And you're saying, okay, well, see, when I'm, when I'm explaining these things, theology, the more I talk about it, in a sense, you know, theology and apologetics almost go hand in hand if I'm talking to an unbeliever, right? Because I'm, oh, yeah. I'm presenting certain argument for God that's biblical. It's not saying that you know, the cosmological stuff or teleological, all that. I'm saying, listen, you have something in you called the conscience that testifies to God's existence. You can see God in what he has made. You can see that there's a creator that is good. He's powerful, all these things by what he has made. That on a certain level is apologetics, right? Because I'm presenting a certain worldview and I'm saying your worldview is wrong because of dot, dot, dot. Sure. So again, it is kind of what you're saying. It is from the course and the flow of the conversation, apologetics will have to be done. And especially, I mean, let's be honest, man, they're going to have questions. They're going to have certain things that they need to wrestle with. 
that'll be apologetics. Yeah, It'll have yeah. to be. So um, to assume that you can evangelize without apologetics is to me, it's, 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 um, it's, there's just no way. I don't see it. Totally, totally agree. And, and you're right. Um, the, even when they're not playing the role of the antagonistic, atheistic, skeptical opponent, you know, I, when they come to you with real genuine questions, well, Jesus, um, Jesus even used apologetics with his disciples. Um, I was, I'm, I'm currently preparing something for Wednesday, um, for the next course. And, uh, Nick Smelser is watching right now. At least he was, uh, he's taking the course as well. Um, so I'm going to give him a little preview right now, but, uh, in Mark chapter seven, Jesus goes through this whole event. Um, well, it's, it's an apologetic encounter with the scribes and Pharisees. And then the disciples ask him, so can you explain this to like, this is like kind of afterwards after Jesus goes into the house away from the crowd, you know, the Pharisees mm -hmm. the uh, disciples didn't want to look like idiots. So they kind of wait until Jesus is in private and they go, can you explain that to us? And Jesus goes, are you really that slow to understand? And then Jesus, I'm, I'm, I'm analyzing what he said to them. This is Mark seven, one through 23. And at first I was just going to put it under the heading of like, you know, after explanation or something like that, like, you know, postscript. But uh -huh. if you look at the way that Jesus uh, talks to his disciples, he says, don't you understand this? You know, do you really not understand this? He's inviting them into his, he's like, you're supposed to be on the same page as me. This is how things work. And, and even by your own standard, you can see, um, you know, if you eat food, it goes into right, the body, right, it's expelled. Exactly, like, right. like, you know, this, right. you know, that this can't right. defile you. This is your own worldview. But do you see that it's what comes out of the heart that defiles someone? So then he brings them in, he addresses their worldview, then brings them into the true worldview. And th those are his disciples. And he's right. still engaging That's apologetically with them. It's, it's yeah. amazing to see. That's, and, and the thing is, too, I think a lot of times it's it's because uh, that's a great example of what I was thinking that, you know, there. I remember when I was in seminary, um, I would hear certain things about how apologetics is like pre evangelism before you before you evangelize, you kind of break it, break them down with apologetics. And, and something always kind of seemed a little off. But now that I, you know, when you become more familiar with presuppositional apologetics, you realize why that's off. That's not correct. That's not a correct view of apologetics because apologetics, there is no such thing as pre-evangelism. If I'm engaging in apologetics, I'm evangelizing that person. If, if I'm doing it biblically. Now, granted, again, if you're doing it the evidential route where you're saying, OK, let me uh, let me give you this argument for this deistic God that might or might not be the case, you know, and, and all then that's a whole different picture. But when you're talking about presuppositional apologetics, which is the Bible says this, there is a worldview that is consistent with reality that's true. And there's a there every other worldview is inconsistent and it's untrue. That is that is a that is an element of evangelism. And so that's the problem with a lot of thinking, I think, when it comes to evangelism. And I think it carries over into sometimes how people think about apologetics. And so a lot of times I think they see apologetics in the same light as when people talk about it as pre-evangelism. And then you're like, well, I'm not going to use apologetics then because I don't want to do pre-evangelism. What's right. the point of that? I want to do evangelism. And 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 so, uh, you know, there's a lot of, uh, I just think there's so many misunderstandings about apologetics. Um you know, and, and, and 
Uh, I, I just know it's been so influential in my own life. Uh, granted, I will say this too. Let me see. You know, I think I think there is an uh, there is a sense in which um, it can be okay. So when I'm, I'll give an example. If I go out, if I go out and I'm preaching, and I'm on a college campus, and they're bringing up questions about you know everything, and I'm I'm okay with talking. I'm okay with engaging students. Let's say about Black Lives Matter. You know, that's been the topic lately, and. Um, and last semester, two semesters ago, saying, you know, it's it's a really fruitful conversation, in my experience, to ask them, why do you say that black lives matter? As a non-Christian, why do black lives matter? They have no answer for it, right? Because they're like, mm -hmm. I don't, I mean, if they're not, if they're not a Christian, what, you know, aside from maybe a Roman Catholic or a, or a Muslim, maybe, you know, who are going to use Genesis in some capacity, you're really not going, and even there, they're going to have inconsistencies with how they're using Genesis. But the the point is, is when you're bringing this up, right? I've had a lot of good um, encounters with exposing the 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 error of the unbelievers' worldview just by bringing up the fact. Listen, if you're not a Christian, you can't say that black people's lives matter. You can't say any life matters, right? As a Christian, we can say they do matter because they're made in God's image. You know, at least the yeah. statement that's a true statement that they mm -hmm. do matter because they're made in God's image. But here's the thing. If I stay in that capacity and as far as just sticking on that one topic, you know, if, if I'm not bringing the gospel to bear on it, if I'm not bringing in Christianity as a consistent religion, if I'm not bringing that in, then I'm then it's true that 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 my evangelism is 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 deficient in a sense. Right. Because I've only gone on the. I've only gone down. I've broken down. It would almost be like if you go and you bring the law to somebody, but you never bring the gospel. Well, then, of course, that's 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 a deficient evangelism. And so think of it in essence, you know, I, this is this is a way to bring out the gospel of Jesus Christ all the all the more. You know, and so um, there is a sense in which. Can it be used so, for instance, with presuppositional apologetics, it's so easy to win arguments, right? I mean, it's so easy. And uh, you're not dealing, and here's the thing, we're not dealing with like the brainiest culture in the universe right now, all right? So it's, it's very easy to win an argument. Yeah. Uh, but I think it's, you know, rightly been said by many that we want to win their soul, not the argument, you know? So there's, there's certainly things to keep in mind with every good thing, you know, there are things that, that can be abused about it. And so having those things in mind when you're evangelizing, I think will also be very helpful when it comes to apologetics. Yeah, no, that, that's, that's really helpful. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, we're not living in the, in the brainiest culture right now. Uh, and, and man, we got to check ourselves too and make sure we're rooted in the word because um, if not, we're going to be right there with the culture. And that's yeah. not, you know, that's not, yeah. um, that's not to say that people are any less valuable because they belong to this culture as opposed to some other culture in history, because throughout human history, people have always been in rebellion against God, right? They're, mm -hmm. that is our status. We are, um, we're like orcs in Lord of the Rings. They're, you're just, uh, somebody, I, I don't know if it was Paul Washer or somebody, but made, made that comparison. Like, you know, everybody has this problem with with Calvinism, like, like you know, God is is not just to punish sinners. When people watch the Lord of the Rings and those Urukai are coming up out of the ground, and they're just pure evil, yeah. and you know that they're created for one purpose only, and that is to destroy. Nobody gets upset if somebody just kills one of those Urukai as they're coming up out of the ground. It's like 
that's more like what people are. And that's not that's an exact one to one parallel, right? Because right. people people are redeemable, you know, and, and of course you're right. We do our lives do matter because we're made in the image of God. Mm-hmm. But we're also in opposition to God. So there's a moral mm-hmm. significance to us as well that that mm-hmm. needs to be read. So, you know, yes, we're made in the image of God. And on the flip side, yeah, we're also evil, but the what bridges those two is is the possibility of redemption through Christ. Yeah, yeah. Um are, are you are you good to take a few questions from the yeah, no problem, viewers, yeah. live viewers? Mm-hmm. All right. And so if you have a question, you can go ahead and post it. Uh YouTube is the best way to do that, but if you're watching on Facebook, um I let's see. I posted the group in a. Or I posted this video in a number of different groups. The Think Squad group. It's on my personal page, my um, my ministry page. So um, you can comment on there. But if you haven't entered in your permissions, um, if you go to streamyard.com/slash/facebook, you can put your permissions in there, and then Streamyard, which is the program that I'm using right now, will know who you guys are, and I'll be able to say who you are on the air and everything else. So. Um, okay, let's get to some of these questions. And then again, if you have another question, um, you can post it as we're going. So first of all, Jordan Ravanis from the Philippines says he's watching. It's it's 3 a.m. there. And so I think he went to bed, uh, but he's watching. He's going to try and watch this later. Um, he's he's a really good dude. He has some really great conversations. 3 a.m. too. That's a, that's a good, that's a mark of devotion right there, isn't it? That's right. That's right. Um, Iljin Cho, friend of mine. Uh, he asks this question, Ryan. He says, "Would you recommend most pastors to do street preaching slash apologetics?" Mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Because you know the thing, and, and here's the other thing: not just pastors, seminary students. I mean, that's that's been my big thing. Is you know every seminary in the country, you know, if you're training preachers, then they need to be preaching. And there's no better way to to learn how to preach than on the streets. If you can preach on the streets, you know when you go into the pulpit, it's they're different. But in another way, they're, it, you'll you'll be much better prepared for a lot of things. Um, and I'll give an example. Just you know, again, when you're preaching on the streets, you're preaching expository messages. You should be. That should be the aim. Now, if you get hecklers and engagement, it'll change, and, and you'll have to adjust, and, and perhaps won't be able to to uh, to do just expository preaching, but. Um, you know, for the most part, if you're just like at a downtown area, you're on a city sidewalk, you're going to be able to get through a message with very few hecklers. Uh, so it's just a matter of going out and preaching. And, you know, uh, you know, as far as pastors go, um, one guy that I, I, I think a lot of and who's been doing ministry forever, he said that every pastor and he used to be a pastor for 30 years. He said every pastor should have a fishing hole where he's preaching outside of his church somewhere. It doesn't have to be in the open air necessarily, but he should be preaching evangelistically to someone somewhere, you know, like in a jail, a prison, homeless shelter, something like that, open air. Because the thing is, is, you know, for pastors and, you know, Joel and I have both been a pastor um, and just, you know, when you're in a church environment, it's a, you can, you can get into a bubble and, and you, you forget, you lose appreciation for how evil human beings are. You lose appreciation for, uh, how powerful the gospel is to save people. You can, you lose a lot by not going out and intentionally engaging people in evangelism. And, and listen, again, as a pastor, um, you know, I would think if you go to any pastor, in the world, I would hope when you go to them and say, do you feel like the Lord has called you to preach? 
They would say yes. I hope so, right? Otherwise, they shouldn't be a pastor. So if they say yes to that question, then why would you not go preach whenever there's an opportunity? Wherever that I get it, pastors have a lot going on. So I'm not saying that you know that they have to spend all the time in the world, but I'm saying it would help. It would help them in so many ways. It would it would certainly help seminary guys, people who want to be a pastor or want to preach. Um, so, so yes, I think pastors should most definitely, definitely be engaged in some type of ministry outside of their local congregation, uh, for, for, you know, also for doing the sake of the, or the work of, of an evangelist like Paul tells Timothy, who I, who I, I think was a pastor. Okay. All right. Well, there you go, Elgin. Hopefully that answers your question. Um, and I, I fully good agree. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Very good question. Um, Brian Zebarth asks, how do you handle the LGBTQ issues, knowing they are going to be starting an argument? Very yeah. timely question for what we're in right now. They call it Pride Month, as you know. Oh, yeah. How do you respond? Uh, so what I like to what I like to remind them is that it's not LGBTQ; it's LGBTQIAPK now, and by next year it'll probably be a B W whatever. Um, but it's the same thing, right? So obviously we want to we want to be compassionate. We want to be uh, respectful to the person. Obviously, I mean that goes without saying because they are made in God's image, and apart from God's grace, we would be in the same position. So, uh, you know, it's it's a matter of, and I said that tongue in cheek as far as the LGBTQIAPK, because in another sense I'm serious because what that demonstrates is. That this is just a a it's just a uh, it's a work in progress as far as this alphabet's going. You know, I mean, it's nothing that it's not stable, it's not consistent, it's it's very arbitrary. Uh, I think that's a big word to bring up. It's arbitrary. It's it's random. It's kind of just whimsical. It's going with whatever is coming up on that certain day or or, or hour. And so, um, you know, if you're in the UK. Um, I've known guys that have been arrested on the spot for for basically just reading through Romans one and mentioning the word like homosexual, or I guess the word's not there in Romans one, but you know that that and someone calls the cops and they're like, hey, so and so said this, they offended me. They'll come and arrest you over there. And, and over here in the states, it's different. We we do have a little more leeway, but it's I think it's very quickly. It seems like it's quickly. Um, being disposed. I mean, we're, uh, you know, more and more, it's like, you know, so police will say, well, someone called me, so you got to stop. And you're like, no, that's not the law, right? Uh, but the thing is, is yes, it that, that topic is a hot button topic. It's a hot issue, right? <clears throat> so when it's brought up, um, I, you know, it's, it's like, look, I try to think of it as this, okay? Whenever, whenever we're dealing with people uh, like let's say they're LGBTQ or whatever, maybe just just uh, people who are proponents of that. Um, you know, really apologetics is useful, but it can only go so far in that sense, right? Because ultimately they need to know about Christ. They need to know about the Savior. So if it's an issue where you are bringing up the inconsistency, like with the T, you know, I think um, Carl Truman just wrote a really good book on that issue. It's a, it's um, the rise in the modern self. I think it's called great book teaches you like the background and the history. And that, in fact, you know, that really did open my eyes to dealing with this group because I could never figure out why they, I, why they equate you saying I reject LGBTQ stuff they equate that with saying you reject them as a human being and you just think they're 
And so when you read this book, you realize it's because they, with their identity, their ontological self is tied up with this, with their, with their status of their sex or, or the, you know, their sex, sexual preference. That's how they identify themselves. And that's been a cultural process that goes back all the way to like the 16, 1700s. That's a really important thing. The person I'm engaging has no idea that's happening. But me knowing that, I can be more sympathetic to kind of how this is how this is trans or how this is transpired. So that now, yes, they, this is utter nonsense, and it's utter, it's diabolical, it's rebellion, it's a, it's an abomination. But at the same time, it helps me to better understand where they're coming from, yeah. so that I can maybe expose them to the gospel in that way. And so. Um, yeah, I mean, that's a really good question. It's almost like a topic for a whole podcast, really. But, um, yeah. yeah, it'll start an argument, maybe. I mean, sometimes, it, you know, it just depends on the person. But, you know, it can – it's yeah, it's tricky, man. It's tricky. But, but you know, what, what doesn't start an argument these days? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah very true. And, uh, and even as you're talking right now, Ryan, I mean, I can hear the, I can hear the street preacher black and white, but I, I also hear the street preacher compassion, you know? Because, yeah. uh, because yeah. you, you have to, you have, you have to care about these people. Yeah. I'm, and, and, and you're right. I mean, understanding the history of the movement can help us understand them and, and that can help us love them better. And that's the fact of the matter is, man, I had people love me when I was sinning and, and in just this, the depth of self-destructive mm -hmm. behavior. I had people who, who sought to understand me and love me and lead me out of that. And, um, you know, far be it from us to withhold God's love from somebody else. And if understanding them better can help us to mm -hmm. love them, that's not the, that's, that's, there's nothing compromising about that. That's more yeah. biblical. That's more gospel. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Paul Washer says something. I think it was, I think you even referenced this, this movement. He says something to the effect that when you're talking, in fact, he did, I think he said, you know, if I was at like a, a um, an LGBTQ rally or something. And I was preaching the gospel there. He says, you know what topic I would preach on? He says, I would, I would preach on the love of God. And you're like, wait a minute, man, that's antithetical to everything I would think. But if you actually think through this, it makes a lot of sense because, and his reasoning was right on. He says, you know, when you're going out there, they expect you to, you know, ridicule them and belittle them. And, and it's not to say you can't bring up hell or God's wrath or God's justice or anything like that. Mm -hmm. But he's saying, you know, when you bring that issue up, when you bring that up, that's going to catch them off guard. And that's going to bring in something that perhaps they don't know anything about, you know? And, and um, so it's, it's kind of, and I, I keep that in mind when, when I'm dealing with this for someone who's just completely irate, you know, or maybe even like at an abortion clinic, you know, these people are are expecting you to blast them. And and when you don't blast them, it's going to catch them off guard. It's almost like, um, you know, it's 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 like when you give water to your enemy and they're like, wait a minute. What? You know, and so, um, you know, think about that, too. I know I have quite a bit. So that's good. That's been useful, just kind of seeing what works, you know. Yeah, that's that's really good. Yeah. Um especially, you know, at a, a pride parade or something like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. One of the mottos of that movement is love is love. Okay. Yes. Well, right. then they've, they've got a deficient view of love. Let's talk about love. That's Let's right. talk about that's God's right. love. Exactly. Yeah. Right. yeah. That's really good. Um, okay. Mujo Picklin asks this. 
coming from Houston, Texas, so a fellow uh, Texan down there. Is there ever follow-up contact given to someone who is interested? So when you see someone receptive to the gospel, is it normal to give an opportunity to provide follow-up discipleship? Do you point the individual to a church? Yeah, great. Is Mojo in Houston? Uh, Mujo is coming from Houston. It seems like because that's yeah. I'm right outside of Houston. We we preach in Houston twice a week, and uh, right. at least and awesome. and so Mujo, yeah, reach out, man. If, if uh, you're looking to to meet up, and and um, we're always looking for new guys, and and you know if we can help you in any way. But yeah, so great question. We uh, yeah, so whenever we go to a spot, we want to know like where the good churches are. We want to be in contact ideally with the, some people from those churches. And um, and so if I'm in in Houston, for instance, you know, Side uh, um, 10 Broomgate and I just did a conference there at Grace Family Baptist Church back in like November, I think it was. And so we know that's a good church. We know some guys from that church. Um, one of the guys I go with in Houston, he's going to a church up in the woodlands. So we're looking for churches in that area. And we definitely try to get them there um, if they're in our area, you know, like on any given week, especially during the college campus, I'm always, um, I, you know, there's a lot of students that usually guys, you know, are always guys as far as like texting, you know, and messaging, but these guys are, you know, the majority of them are lost, but I'm, you know, over time you build a rapport and you say, Hey, you got questions, let us know. And I get my email address or whatever, sometimes phone number and they'll get back to me. So we'll talk in the way. And so, yeah, we definitely want to be discipling them to, to, to whatever extent we can, you know, that is definitely the goal. We're not just trying to get, we're not just trying to preach to them and just leave. That's not necessarily a bad thing because God can still use that. But at the same time, I think it's even more fruitful. I, 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 I prefer preaching in the same spot. And so I got a circuit here in Texas that I do. So I'm preaching at like five or six different places at any given week, but I'm doing that every week. And so I'm meeting people. I'm, I'm able to kind of make contacts and get them into certain churches or whatnot and, and, and do it that way. So yeah, good question. And, and I would definitely recommend doing that. Yeah. So we might as well go here now. Um, so Mujo responded and said, yes, sir. Said, I'd love to do that. Um, if people do want to get in touch with you, Ryan is, you know, what's the best way to do that? Yeah. Um, go to uh, Texas preacher at on Twitter. My handles Texas preacher. <clears throat> that's the um i'm on there a lot and then if you just want to send me an email it's christ in the wild at gmail.com christ in the wild at gmail.com and um our website's another place is christ the wild.com i know joel mentioned that so mm-hmm. um youtube we have a youtube page christ the wild ministries you'll see a lot of the footage i think i don't know maybe 120 videos of preaching on the campuses, street corners, abortion clinics, things like that. So um, I think that's it. You know, I have a Facebook page, um, but yeah, that would, that would, so you can reach me there, but, but usually either email or uh, Twitter would be probably the best way. Okay. Right on. Well, everybody, uh, you can hear that. And speaking of hearing things, I hear little voices in the background. Is that, yeah. Uh, yeah, you know, so this, let's see, my background used to look like yours, Joel, with all the books and stuff and all the nice decor. But so uh, we, we, uh, we moved to central Texas. We, we are living in a rental right now and it's all tile floors. So the house is like wherever you are in the house, you can just be talking normally and you can hear it on the other end of the house. So 
it's just, it's cool in the summer because it's all tile, but it's, yeah. it's not the best for acoustics. So yeah, yeah, yeah. we have a year old. My wife is due to give birth any day now too. She's she's a uh, pregnant with another boy. Yeah, so we're we're excited for that. God willing. Praise God. That's yeah. that'll be three boys. Two boys. That'll be two, two boys. Two boys. Got it. Got I, have, it. I have a son and then another one in the in my wife's womb right now. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Praise God, man. Wow. What what an what an awesome yeah, blessing. Excited. Oh, when it comes to background noise, uh, that's the is in my book. That's the best I can hear is yeah, little kids yeah. running around talking, making noise. Yeah, yeah, right, right. They're that's fun. a great, it's a great thing. So uh, Mujo did respond. He says he's a lay pastor in Northwest Houston, H O U. I guess that's Houston. Uh, yeah. I would be very interested in shadowing. He says I will be in contact. So, yes, so there please. you go. Yes, awesome, good. dude. Yes, please do. In fact, because where where we are, we're on the northwest side of Houston, also. So, uh, we're a little further out. We're more towards. Uh, well, we're at College Station, so you probably know where that is. But uh, probably forty five minutes from northwest Houston. So, yeah, that'll be good, man. In fact, I think we're going tomorrow, God willing. So, yeah, reach out to me, and we can maybe plan something. All right. Well, there you go. So I'm going to leave your email up uh, for a yeah. few more minutes there, sure. Ryan, just so anybody who wants to, you know, who wants to get in touch. Um, and by the way, let me just give another quick shout out and plug for a certain sound. This is Ryan's book that he co-wrote with Scott Smith. It's a primer or primer, I guess you're supposed to say a primer on open air preaching. And uh, I really enjoyed it. I, I've been open air preaching a few times now. It's not, it's not a regular practice of mine. Um, but it is, I am, I'm totally sold on it. Uh, I, I love it. I think that it is an amazingly powerful way to, to win people, to win souls. And, and you mentioned Sai earlier. Uh, Sai has this great quote. He says, um, somebody asked him once, you know, how many people do you lead to Jesus? with this approach. And he said, all of them. Yeah. You know, because yeah. if you're, if you're presenting the gospel and you're out there, then one way or the other, you're either going to be the aroma of death or the aroma of life. And you, people can't be neutral about Jesus. And you're, you're giving them the same ultimatum that Jesus gave the Pharisees. You're either with me or you're against me. You're either gathering with me or scattering. And people need to be pushed to that point. They need to have yeah. that presented to them in yeah. love. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So thanks for what you're doing, brother. And thank you so yeah. much for coming on the show. I'm thank glad we were able to work this out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you for having me, Joel. Cheers. I, I think, you know, the thing, one of my missions is uh, by God's grace to the extent that I'm able to try to, to try to normalize open air preaching. Yeah. Make it where, hey, this isn't some kind of weird, I know it is, but it's not. You know, I mean, this is something that God has always used from the beginning of time. He'll continue using it. He's always used it. So, um, you know, I know that there are wackos out there and, and there are unbiblical things. But, you know, the same could be said about pastors and churches. But that doesn't mean pastors and churches are all bad. So, that's right. Uh, you know, just, just, uh, you know, if this is unfamiliar to you, just, um, you know, there, there are biblical ways to do it. There are biblical guys doing it. So. Um, there's a lot of good apples in the midst of some bad apples. So be encouraged. So yeah. thank you for helping do that, Jill. I mean, I mean, through the, you know, through the podcast, this is helpful. Nah, it's my, my pleasure, man. And, and you know what, um, uh, this is, this is like this ancient practice and I just want to give a plug. Look, yeah. I think far more than two thirds of our audience is men. And I know a lot of these guys are into MMA, jujitsu. I just got into jujitsu myself. I'm a former wrestler. And look, getting out on the street is very much in line with the things that you are interested in. If you're into, 
you're you're into working out. You're into to yeah. MMA. It's not because you right. go out in the street and you you beat people. It's because you have to have a certain hardness, like a certain a, a, a certain um, toughness of skin, a certain toughness of uh, thickness of skin, toughness of mind to go out there on the street. And I'm not I'm not um, saying that these are super Christians by any means, but it is. There's a call. There's a there's a, a passion that these guys have for it, and you owe it to yourself to get out there because I know some of the guys watching, some of the guys in our audience, especially you young guys. What are you like 24, 25? You're watching. I know you're watching right now. I know you're listening, especially on the podcast. And you don't have kids yet. Maybe you're you're dating a young lady, you're courting a young lady or whatever, and you're planning out what's my future gonna look like? Is God calling me to missions? Is he calling me to seminary? What? Get out on the street and do some hook up with the guy like Ryan, like Zoe. Um, you can come here to Chicago. I I, I will connect you with the right guys. Uh, Tyler Terdici and Glenn uh, Bilkis. I had him on my show. But um but Rafe Chenery in Chicago good friend of mine, get out here and give it a try and see how the Lord uses that experience to shape your future because it is it is hardcore and the Lord uses it to win souls and you will be snatching people out of the fire. I mean, it's, it's man, you think about, you get like good endorphins when you're lifting or getting out on the mat and, and, and rolling with somebody. Try getting out there and doing some street evangelism, street apologetics, man. It, there's nothing like it. It's amazing. Yeah, it's true, man. It's true. Amen. That's the best, one of the best plugs I've ever heard for street preaching. <laughs> Cheers, that's good. Yeah, uh, well, uh well thank thanks again, Ryan. Appreciate it, man. Um I'm gonna I'm gonna close things out now, but uh but let's talk again sometime. Maybe I can get down to Houston sometime. Yeah, and, come on uh, down, man. Yeah, there's a lot going on. Yeah, the weather's nice. Nicer than Chicago, man. Well, maybe not in the summertime. In the summertime oh, I need to go see you. That absolutely we'll see man. Out in the summer, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, All hey, right, thanks, well, buddy. I appreciate you having me on though. All right, brother. I'll talk to you later. All right, see you. Well, thanks for watching this episode of the Think Podcast with Joel Sedicase. I really enjoyed this conversation because uh, it's it's getting at something that is near and dear to my heart, which is evangelism and uh, and apologetics, which is really sort of the the nucleus around which this show is forming. I, you know, officially we talk about worldview, evangelism, and apologetics, but very clearly, uh, my my passion is really apologetics, the defense of the faith. Of course, I love evangelism. I love. Um, preaching the gospel but but there's an edge to a, to the apologetical side of evangelism that I really enjoy and and there's um there's a soul connection there's a mind connection when you're engaging with someone from a different worldview that apologetics really facilitates and um when it's done biblically when it's done as a service of evangelism um hand in hand with and in support of evangelism so um I really enjoyed this. I definitely hope you heard something helpful. I know I certainly did. Just a quick plug. If you're interested in some discipleship resources for your kids, you can go to, I know that might seem out of the blue, but like I said, I know we got a lot of young men, young dads watching this and you've got young kids. And so uh, if you go to thethink.institute slash catechids, you can get yourself a free PDF of my catechism. Or if you go to Amazon, you can get a copy of Catechids for like five bucks, something like that. Also, if you're going to be at the Cruciform Conference later this week outside of Indianapolis, I will be there and I will have copies of Catechism, uh, uh, Catechids for sale there at the Cruciform Conference as well. So hopefully I'll see you down there. If you get a chance, come say hi, stop by the booth. I will be also speaking at the pre-conference um, uh, on, on apologetics. So I'm going to be talking about apologetics down there as well. All right, now, if you haven't done so yet, please leave us a five-star, honest, honest, 
five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. And uh, if you haven't subscribed to our YouTube channel, please do so. Uh, we are at uh, just over, I think we're at like 902 subscribers. So uh, that, that, that's growing by God's grace and God's timing. And um, we want to just give you an opportunity to not miss a moment. Make sure you hit the bell so you get notified of when we come out with new content. And uh, you can stay tuned for the next episode. It's going to be coming up on next Tuesday. I won't tell you who I have yet, but it's going to be really, really, really good. So stay tuned. And remember, this is not goodbye. This has just been a little pit stop along the road of your spiritual journey. As always, until next time, I hope it made you think. <laughs>